0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste with what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand, where it gives light to all in the house. Just so, your light must shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Heavenly Father. The Gospel of the Lord. An invisible Christianity, the Lord says, is no Christianity. Note how clear and how strong he is as he speaks to his disciples, the comparison to salt which gives flavor and that when salt becomes flavorless, it is no good. What a remarkable statement that is because he is telling his disciples you have been given something in fact you have become something and if you give yourself over to becoming something else you lose the goodness you have been given he continues then, moving from the image of salt which gives flavor and taste the idea of light and note what he says he who elsewhere will say I am the light of the world says that of his followers you are light for the world and light must be visible it must be recognizable or it is no good And when he says no one lights a lamp to hide it under a bushel basket, he is speaking about your life and my life because he's the one who has lit a lamp within us. And he is saying, I have not kindled new life in you. I have not kindled faith in you. I have not illumined you so that you be covered up. Rather, a light is lit so that others may see. An invisible Christianity is no Christianity. What a remarkable statement that is. And note how perfectly it sums up a certain element of the descent of the Holy Spirit on the Great Sunday of Pentecost where the great flame appeared above the gathered church and then separated into tongues of fire, with a tongue of fire arriving at each one, signifying that something is being kindled within that life. Something is being illumined within that life and that these individuals separately but most importantly together as the church are now becoming that city set upon a hill which cannot and must not be hidden, but must illumine the entire world. Challenging statement that is, because here the Lord is saying, stop with the excuses of I like to be in the background. He's saying, stop with the excuses of, I don't like to stand out. He is not saying, show off. He is not saying, impose yourself. But he is certainly saying, do not hide. Do not conceal what you have been given. Rather, let the light of the movement of my spirit shine out from within you because this is how a world shrouded in darkness will have a chance at seeing goodness. And if the light is not visible, then all we have is darkness. And in speaking that way, the Lord goes a bit further. He is also saying, and if the light doesn't shine forth, it's not my fault, because I've kindled it. I've kindled it within you. And it's not simply just for you. It is for the world around you. It is for your fellow believers likewise that we help one another to see. What a remarkably powerful statement this is. And again, it is a dramatic visual expression of that statement we heard from St. Paul just last Sunday where St. Paul writes to each one. And you have to love St. Paul. He's so very direct. He doesn't say to some. He doesn't say to a great many. He doesn't say to a carefully chosen handful. He says to the church, to each one of you, meaning nobody is left out. To each one has been given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the upbuilding of the body. That is a remarkably important statement because here again, the Holy Spirit, who is the one speaking through St. Paul in the inspired scriptures, is saying, I have given something to each and every one of you which is not for you, but for somebody else. And that every member of the church, every member of the body has been gifted with a gift that the body will only receive if we use it. What a remarkably important notion this is. And note how it cuts against the grain of our passivity. I am so active in all of the other areas of my life, but with regard to the church and service and the gospel, I become strangely passive, waiting for somebody else to step forward, waiting for someone else to act, waiting for someone else to move and yet St. Paul is very clear, speaking in the words that the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the church has given him to speak, to each and every one has been given something. We miss this oftentimes when we become frustrated with the church, when we become frustrated with the world around us, and we wonder why it is that God doesn't do something. And when it is that he's going to act and to intervene, and yet the simple fact of the matter is his first answer is, I already have. I've given you the ability to make a difference. Why haven't you? I've given you something to contribute. Why haven't you? I've kindled the flame of faith within you and the light of goodness. Why have you covered it? The remarkable element about how the church moves into the world from Pentecost Sunday is the way it brings to a certain fulfillment the promise that the Lord had made to Israel of old. Not just some of you will bear my spirit. Not just some of you will be my servants. But I will pour out my spirit and my gifts with a generous abundance upon all of you, so that all of you can illumine the world around you. And all of you have something of no small value to offer. And when we live in a world that tells us time and time again that we can do nothing, that we are nothing, that we can make no difference, note how important the insistence of the Lord, the insistence of St. Paul truly are, because they say something different. Jesus Christ values the humble heart, but he has no use for a false humility which buries itself in a sense of inadequacy. Rather, he says, be humble enough to receive what I have given you, and humble enough to trust me that I've given it to you for a reason. And go and let your faith be visible, and let your goodness shine forth. And be that one who doesn't simply wait for someone else, but who knows when to move and when to act. This is something of what we see going on in our very beautiful but challenging first reading today. And over the rest of the week, we will be spending time with the great prophet Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah, who is one of those great figures from Israel's past to whom Jesus is compared, and who in his own way is raised up by the Spirit of God as an anticipation of Jesus. What we see in Elijah is something that we will see to a greater degree and a surpassing degree in Jesus. So note what we see here. There is a drought that has settled over the land because of the unfaithfulness of Israel. And so the crops are failing. And Elijah, the prophet who announced the drought, is being persecuted. And so he needs a safe refuge. And the Lord tells him, I have prepared a space for you, but curiously, the space is not in Israel. And he doesn't send him to an Israelite, he sends him to a foreigner to the widow of the town of Zarephath. She is not a Jew, she is not an Israelite, and yet she is the one whose home the Lord has prepared. In much the same way that the gospel curiously finds a welcome among the Gentiles to a degree that it does not in Israel as the church goes forth to preach. And the prophet goes to the town, and he meets the widow by the well. And her words to him are words filled with a very poignant sense of hopelessness. That there is nothing left for me to do but wait for the end. But note how brazen the prophet is. Bring me something to eat and something to drink. There's a drought on, there's no food, and there's no water. Give me something to eat, he says. And she looks at him and she says, you don't understand. You don't understand. I've only got enough oil and flour to make one little hearth cake. That's it. And I have a son at home. And this won't even feed the two of us. There's nothing for you. And when when we eat that, there's nothing left. There's nothing we can do. We're lost. We're finished. There is no difference to be made. And the prophet says to her, I understand all of that, but make me something to eat anyway. What a remarkable statement that is. In the midst of your lack, find a bit of generosity and I promise you, you will not lack. (coughs) Let's be honest, how many of us would really act on that? And curiously, however, this widow who is not of the people, hears the words of the prophet, and she hears something in what he says that strikes her, and she does it. And she goes. With the little she has, she prepares a little something for him, and she brings it to him. And she goes home, and she finds that she still has a little. What an absolutely beautiful moment this is. And what we see then is over the next run of weeks and months, because the prophet does not remain with her a short time, she receives him into her home. She opens her door to the messenger. She gives of the little she has for his good. And the little never runs out. We never hear that the jar became more full. We never hear that a grain delivery arrived at the house. We never hear that the quantity of oil multiplied, only that there was always something to give and something to use. What a remarkably beautiful miracle this is. Note how in his own way, it anticipates the Lord multiplying loaves and fish. Where again, scripture never says, and in front of Jesus, there was suddenly a great pile of fish and a ton of bread. But out of that handful, there was always more to be given. Out of that little, there was always more. And when Jesus speaks to his disciples about being the light of the world and the salt of the earth, When Paul speaks to us about each one being given a manifestation of the Spirit, he's not speaking about quantity. He's speaking about a reality of goodness that, however small it may seem, will not run out so long as it is in use. What a beautiful promise that is. What a beautiful promise. And it's good to reflect on that here at Mass because in just a few minutes, we're going to have a little bit of bread on this altar and a little bit of wine. And we are going to offer that little bit of bread and that little bit of wine that we have received from the goodness of God back to him. And into that smallness. The same spirit of God that was poured out on the church on Pentecost Sunday is going to move. And instead of merely having a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine, the very presence, the life of Jesus Christ is going to be here. In the eyes of the world, what can so little do? Such a tiny quantity of bread just a couple ounces of wine. Whose thirst could that satisfy? Whose hunger can that fill? And yet to the eye of faith we see, physically the quantity is tiny, but spiritually the feast is abundant, and it is rich, and it doesn't run out. And so it is that the Lord The Lord shows us the full meaning of all of this in this sacrament. Here we have not simply a jug of oil and a jar of flour. Here we have the self-giving of Jesus. And he gives himself fully to each and every one of us and doesn't run out before he gives himself to all of us. And tomorrow, he'll be here again. And he will give himself completely to all of us, however many gather here. And around the world today, in countless churches, this same Jesus Christ gives himself completely to thousands upon thousands, and yet still has more of himself to give. What a wonderful mystery this really is. And the Lord then who says those challenging things to his church about not hiding the light, about not burying the gifts, is basically saying, if you're receiving my giving, let me give myself through you. Don't worry about running out. There is always more of me. There is always more for you. However small it seems, just like in the jar and the jug, oh, there will always be more. Because that is the way of grace. Amen.